reading this morning is uh, Psalm 46, which God really, really led me to speak on this this morning. Um, so Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your powerful word, which speaks right into the context of world war and conflict. Lord, help us to be still this morning and hear your voice. Renew our trust in you, Lord. Renew our confidence in you, Lord, as we examine your word together. Amen. I really felt um, God was calling me to address the, some of the issues surrounding uh, Israel-Palestine uh, this morning using this uh, psalm as a, as a framework. Um, it's really important that the word of God speaks into the anxiety and fear and insecurity and instability of the world. And this psalm certainly does that. With the escalating war in Palestine, the long-term conflict in Ukraine, it can seem the world has reached new levels of chaos. Everybody is talking about this. Um, there was one day this last week, uh, I went, I was in Costa, I was in various other places around. Everybody was talking about war and chaos and the turbulence of the world. These weren't Christians, they were just people out and about, drinking coffee, standing in the queue at the pharmacy. It, everywhere I went, people were talking about the instability of the world, conflict, war. And people really are fearful of the future, aren't they? They're talking about these things. To say that this is an unsettling time is an understatement. Um, the war in Palestine has the potential to draw in more nations with Hezbollah in, in Lebanon and various terror groups in Iran supporting Hamas with military aid. We live in a very dangerous, unstable time. You know that. The aim of terror groups is to perpetuate chaos and war, and in Hamas's case, they've pledged to eliminate Israel from the face of the earth. It's also a time when we're being constantly reminded of the horrors of war. 1,400 Israelis have been barbarically slaughtered by Hamas, but now well over 10,000 Palestinians, including women and children and elderly people, have been killed by the Israeli counteroffensive. Neat answers, theological, neat, logical responses will not do. We have to get on our knees with tears in our eyes and cry out to God. 
It is not possible to have a cool response in the face of war. Only tears in our eyes. War is a tragic consequence of the fall. And Jesus warned us, didn't he, to say, do not be alarmed. You will hear war of wars and rumors of wars, but do not be alarmed. And in all this uproar and chaos, um, the question comes, how is God involved in all of this? Where is God in all of this? How is everything going to turn out in the end naturally spring to mind? I'm asking that question too. And Psalm 46 spoke to me and said, God said through Psalm 46, be still and listen to my word. Psalm 46 is a prayer of trust. The best scriptures that you can turn, some of the best scriptures you can turn to in a time like this are the Psalms. Because rather than getting all theoretical and theological about these things, they drive us to prayer. And that is the greatest and best thing you can do for the world at the moment is pray. The world does not need theological explanations. The world needs prayer. And Psalm 46 speaks to us powerfully. You see, the people of God should not be characterized by fear and insecurity in the face of world chaos, but trust and prayer. And there are three things about God's promises in Psalm 46 that enable us as Christians to stand firm in trust. Number one, God is sovereign over the whole creation. Second, God's promises are secure. Third, God's promises for the future bring eternal hope and security. First point, God is sovereign over creation. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. This is a picture of creation unraveling uh, catastrophic volcanic, volcanic eruptions with the land slipping into the sea. And this is the sort of chaos that war brings, isn't it? It's highly likely, according to commentators, that this psalm is set in the context that J Jerusalem and the temple are under threat from invasion and military powers. And we have seen in Ukraine and more recently in Gaza City, the total chaos that war brings. There is an unraveling of creation and order and stability, isn't there? And it must have seemed to the psalmist that creation was unraveling as the holy city of God was threatened, as the temple was threatened. It was as if God's presence was threatened among his people. And therefore, it was as if the very fabric of creation was coming apart. Because, of course, Jerusalem, the holy city of God, the temple, was the place of God's presence on earth. And so if the temple and Jerusalem were threatened, God's presence among his people were threatened. That's why the psalmist uses such graphic language about creation unraveling. The whole world is coming apart as far as the psalmist is concerned. To Ukrainians who have lost homes, loved ones, and seen whole cities raised to the ground, this language is not over the top. 
to those in Gaza City witnessing the destruction of whole areas of the city and the loss of over 10,000 lives, this language is not over the top. To the families of 1,400 Israeli families and those families of the over 200 hostages, this language is not over the top. If you were one of these people, you would be feeling as though the mountains were slipping into the heart of the sea and creation was unraveling. The holy city of Jerusalem, I don't know if you're aware of this, but has been destroyed twice, attacked 52 times, besieged 23 times and recaptured 44 times. The temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman commander Titus. And it's estimated that around a million Jews were killed during that AD 70 attack. And if God had promised that Jerusalem would not fall, which he does in this psalm, and that his presence would ensure this, wouldn't it have felt with those promises that as the, the temple and the, the, the city were being attacked, that creation was unraveling for the psalmist. Everything was falling apart. But the reality is, even though Jerusalem and the temple have fallen many times, God's presence has always remained. Uh, even before AD 70 and the destruction of the temple, look at Jesus' words prophesying the destruction of the temple. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. In other words, Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem and its temple would be destroyed, but he was saying that when I'm raised from the dead, there you will find God's presence forever, forever. And of course, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit on all believers. And so now God's presence lives in Christians through the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Romans 8, therefore, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. God's temple has come to dwell in you. His presence will never be removed from you if you're a Christian. In Revelation 21, we heard about this last week, didn't we? The new Jerusalem, the holy city will come down out of heaven to earth. Isn't that wonderful? God's presence never going to leave. When God makes a promise, he always keeps his promise. One day God will renew the heavens and the earth. There'll be no more mourning, no more death, no more pain, no more wars. He is Lord of history and of creation. We do not need to be insecure and fearful as the world are. We lean on the loving arms of Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're passive in the face of war and conflict. Doesn't mean we sit on our hands and wait for Jesus to come. It means that we get on our knees and we pray and we weep for a broken world. Second, God's promises are secure. Verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. What beautiful imagery. Do you remember the the river in the Garden of Eden that flowed out and watered the garden. 
And just as Eden was a place of security and prosperity, so Jerusalem, the holy city, is being pictured here as the place of God's presence on earth, which is secure. Verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of dawn. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Um, natural question is if Jerusalem did fall and the temple was destroyed, how do these promises of God hold? She will not fall, says the psalmist. Well, Jesus replaced the temple through his resurrection, and we're promised, we'll get to this in a moment, that in the millennial kingdom and eternity, there will be a new temple, a new Jerusalem. God never abandons his promises. The promise to Jerusalem that it will not fall holds today. Did you know that? Multiple scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament tell us that when Jesus returns, he will return to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the holy city, is still the focal point of God's future plans. Amen? That's what the scriptures say. The world will not accept the promises of God in scripture. But we don't live by the world's standards. We live by scripture. When God makes a promise, he makes it for eternity. His promise to bless Israel goes right back to Abraham. God promised Abraham that he'd make him into a great nation and bless his descendants who would blend bless the whole earth. And through Abraham's descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel came the nation of Israel, God's chosen people called to be a light to all the other nations, called to draw people to worship God. But we know sadly from reading the Old Testament that Israel failed in its mission to be a light to the nations. But out of Israel came the perfect true Israelite, Jesus Christ, descended from Abraham himself. And we know, because Jesus tells us, that the destruction of the temple in AD, city, in AD 70 was God's judgment on Israel. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, we live in the time of the Gentiles. Gentiles are being included, grafted in to God's holy people, Israel, right? God's promises to Israel are not revoked, but this is a time when Gentiles are being grafted in, added into the olive tree of Israel. Amen. The fact that Jesus says this is a time until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled tells us that there will be a time for Jews to re-engage, re-enter the covenant. I'll get to that in a moment. God's promises to bless Israel were not revoked when Jesus, um, when the word went out to the Gentiles. Actually, it extended to, to, to the Gentiles at that point because Jesus died and rose again, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles too. We're in the time when the gospel is going out to all the nations of the earth. 
And God has not finished with his people, the Jews. In Romans 11, Paul says that when Jesus returns to the holy city of Zion, there'll be a mass turning of Jews to faith in Jesus. Romans 11. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. There it is again. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. In other words, at the moment, we're in the time of the Gentiles. Jews are hardened to the message of Jesus Christ. There are Messianic Jews, of course, in Israel and Palestine and around the world, but the vast number of Jews at the moment are hardened to the gospel. But there is coming a time when the Gentiles continue to come into the God's covenant promises to Abraham and the Jews, we're told, their hardening of heart will not continue. They will become envious, jealous of all the Gentiles entering into the covenant and they will turn en masse to Jesus Christ when he comes to Zion. So if you want a true and certain sign of the coming of Christ, when the Jews start turning to Jesus en masse, Paul says here, the deliverer will come from Zion. Verse six is a prophecy we need to hold on to in the face of uproar and wars. Verse six, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. This is uh, God's voice is, is one of judgment upon the fallenness of this world. This world will not go on forever as it is. God is sovereign. He will have the last word. He will renew his creation. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 prophesies, but the day of the Lord, that's judgment day, will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Don't know why I put done in there. Never mind. Who knows? In other words, the fire of God's judgment will fall and burn up all sin and injustice and evil and will leave behind a purified, renewed, perfect creation. That's what the word of God says. And the reason all these future promises of God are secure is verse seven. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love this verse because the, the translation is the Lord Sebaoth, which is the Lord of angel armies, is with us. Uh, the Lord Almighty, yeah, that sounds good, but I love the God of angel armies is with us, hey? Doesn't that sound good? So many angels in his armies, they're too numerous to count. God is fighting for his people. He's fighting for his chosen nation, Israel. He's fighting for people to turn to the gospel. He's fighting for his church in the heavenly realms. God has aimed, at this moment, God has heavenly angel armies fighting against the dark powers that seek to control nations. But as we'll see tonight from the way that Daniel prayed, God makes, made a promise to Israel to release them from captivity uh, after 70 years through Jeremiah, but Daniel still prayed that God would honor his promises. So there's the mystery of prayer. God makes promises to us, but he still calls us to pray in those promises. I don't know how that works. I, I, it's one of my questions when I get to heaven. 
How does that work? But it works. When we pray, God brings about his promises. Isn't it wonderful that he would allow us to get involved and participate in prayer in seeing his promises come to fruition? So our role in this time of war and uproar is to call out in God to send his angel armies against the forces of darkness and evil. There are powers of darkness in the heavenly realms over these nations that perpetuate war and terror. And we are called to ask God to send his heavenly angels to do battle against them, just as Daniel did, right? More of that tonight. Pray for Christians, whether Palestinian or Messianic Jews, to stand firm in these days as witnessing to Jesus and to make Jesus known. Third, God's promises for the future bring eternal hope and security. So certain are the future promises of God's intervention on earth that the psalmist writes them as though they've already taken place. This is what they, they uh, call a future heiress tense. It's absolutely certain, and so he writes it as having happened, although it's future. Come and see what the Lord has done and desolations he has brought on the earth. When Jesus returns to Zion and there's a mass turning of the nation of Israel to faith in Jesus, Revelation 20 tells us that Jesus will usher in a millennial kingdom, a 1,000 year reign on the earth. Satan will be imprisoned and unable to deceive the nations on earth. It's good news, isn't it? Read Revelation 20. Some of you are looking at me as if I'm nuts. Read the scripture, folks. All right, read it. It's there in the word. I'm not going crazy. It's there. Satan will be imprisoned and will be unable to wreak havoc on earth during that thousand year reign. Those who've been martyred will be resurrected to reign with Jesus and with those believers still alive on the earth. Believers that have um, lived before will be raised up too with Jesus to reign on, on the earth. Revelation 20, here it is. Then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations until the thousand years were ended. Doesn't it seem logical that if Satan is locked away and Jesus is reigning for a thousand years on the earth, that there would be an end to war and injustice and pain? Just sheer logic. So I agree with the many commentators who link um, Psalm 46 and Psalm 2 and Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 to the millennial kingdom. There'll be um, swords will be beaten into plowshares. There'll be an end to warfare in the millennial kingdom. We will not see an end to war this side of Jesus' return, right? I'm not getting all negative and pessimistic on you. It's what Jesus told us. Don't be alarmed, but pray and remain ready for his return. Be alert, watchful, prayerful. Weep and pray that God's promises would be fulfilled. Psalm 46 verse 9, here it is. This only makes sense, by the way, in a millennial kingdom. 
Psalm 46, verse 9. Um, can we go back one, I think? Yeah. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. If that's not a millennial kingdom, it makes no sense in this world. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Now, God does intervene um, in the world. He does bring wars to an end. He does topple leaders. But the reality is we will hear of wars and rumors of wars until the return of Jesus. We live in a world that's fallen and cursed and broken. Sorry, folks. We're going to have to keep praying, weeping. We're going to have to stay on our knees until the return of Jesus. So I'm a little bit, um, I'm a bit skeptical of when people say at the end of the year, oh, I hope this year is going to be better. <laughs> because as a pre-millennialist, which I am, unashamed, there's no evidence that this next year will be better. But you know, I have a God who holds the future. So actually, that's not bad news to me. It just means I've got to hold on in trust even harder to Jesus the Savior. He's my anchor. Not the blind hope of a new year that might be a little bit better than last year. Jesus is my security, my hope, my fortress, my refuge, my rock. Amen. So leave the New Year's resolutions aside. Let, let, let other people do those. Trust in the Lord. But here's even better. It gets better because the promise of, of an end to war will continue beyond the millennial reign into eternity. After the thousand years are complete, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven to the earth and God will dwell among his people. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this. Then he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There won't be a need for remembrance Sunday because there'll be no more war, pain, injustice, evil. That's what God's word says. That's why God's people are not like the rest of the world because we have sure and certain promises to live by. God is working out his purposes in creation and in history. Whatever uproar the nations cause through war, nothing can disrupt God's plans and promises to Israel and to his church. We will always feel the pain of the loss of life. We should always lobby government to seek peace and an end to war. We should pray for an end to the conflict. But at the end of the day, God is sovereign, not us. When God makes a promise, he never revokes it. He never goes back on his promise. Do you believe that this morning? I know I do. This is a time not to take sides in the conflict. This is a time to pray that world leaders would have wisdom and compassion to work for an end to this conflict. This is a time to pray against the heavenly forces of evil that cause terrorist groups like Hamas to have influence. This is a time to pray that the rulers in Israel would exercise restraint in this conflict and have wisdom in dealing with evil and in bringing the conflict to an end. This is a time to pray that people in Palestine and Israel would turn to Christ, their only source of hope. 
This is a time for us to come to our knees in prayer. This is a time for us to trust in God's promises. This is a time not for fear and anxiety and insecurity. This is a time for prayerful trust and confidence. We are not to allow the uproar of nations to disturb our faith, but rather, as the psalmist says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Jesus is coming again. He will be exalted in the earth. The world does not understand that scripture. We do, and we're called to live by it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that the world is in your hands. Thank you that you are sovereign over creation and over history. And Lord, may that confidence and trust drive us to our knees in prayer for the brokenness and fallenness and pain of this world. Lord, may we have tears in our eyes for the victims of war on whatever side. Lord, may we pray with perseverance for an end to this conflict, whether in Ukraine and Russia or in Israel, Palestine or wherever it occurs. Lord, keep us faithful, persevering in prayer. But Jesus, thank you that you are coming again to establish a millennial kingdom and then your eternal kingdom. Thank you that your presence among your people will never leave us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love, not even death. Lord, help us to rest secure and lean on your everlasting arms today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Martin, yes. Yeah, just briefly, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to come up here? Yeah. I went to Alpha last year, so I thought, well, this year I won't go. And as you know, most of you, I live around at Heatherfields. And um, Patty and Keith and Mark, uh, Patty and Keith and Graham and Eamon will come into Alpha. So they said, please come, please come. Well, the first week I was poorly. And I said, go on, you'll be all right. Go, go. Well, they did it on their own. So I said, right, you can go on your own from now on. So I didn't come. And then last week, Pat had had a bad time. So she said, please come, please come to Alpha tonight. So I said, oh, all right, then I'll come. So what does Mark say at the end of the um, talk about the Holy Spirit? He says, right, I'll give you some homework, go home, and between now and Saturday, which was the away day for Alpha, he said, pray to the Holy Spirit, Father God, Jesus, just whatever way, speak to me. And I will, you know, he, he will, just, just speak. So I'm at home, and I'm laying there the other morning, and I'm praying, and I said to the Holy Spirit, well, if you've got a word for me, just speak it well as clear as a bell up came be still and know that i am god <laughs> me being me it came and it came and i thought to myself well 
is that me or is that you? So I said, please, can you confirm it for me? Well, I don't know whether it was that evening or the next day. I didn't get to my armchair until 10 past eight in the evening. And I always put the Christian channel on at TBN. So I sat there and it was 10 past eight. So the Better Together group of ladies that were on the Christian channel were already 10 minutes into their conversation. So I'm going up with the sound and the first words I hear out of the lady's mouth are, be still and know that I am God. So I thought, oh, well, I better look this scripture up. My Bible says, calm down and know that I am God. And then, of course, I met with Brenda and Barbara um, Thursday. And they said, I was telling them, I'd already shared it with Auntie Mary. And I said, this is what happened. And would you believe it? They said, would you know what Martin's preaching on on Sunday? <laughs> so there Amen. you go. There was the confirmation. Amen. Bless yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, deliberately gone for this song because uh, it sings about the God of angel armies is always by our side. So let's sing this with faith, with trust and with celebration.
thank you, Jesus, that you are always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. You do not take your, your spirit from us. And so, Lord, fill us with trust, fill us with confidence, fill us with joy. And, Lord, fill us with a desire to pray for this broken world, that we might see your kingdom coming more fully on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if, you, if you would like prayer, please remain behind. Uh, prayer team are here. We'd love to pray with you for whatever trials you're going through. Um, and uh, if you'd like tea and coffee, please head next door. Um, tea, coffee, and refreshments. <laughs>